0: You guys believe that Michael Holley asked me to preach on Mother's Day? <laughs> no, I'm glad to because this gives Ross Furio one more Sunday at home on his paternity leave with his family, so it's a good thing for them. Um, our mothers and the women who love us often bring to mind for us thoughts of comfort and safety and care. They may also bring to mind thoughts of rules and boundaries. My mom always has had more rules for us than my father has. Is that true for many of you? I know that's not always the case, but in my house, my mom always had more rules um, than us. When we would go to the store, she would say you can pick out some gum or some candy. And then when my dad took us, he let us pick out gum and candy. So you about it was way better. Uh, One of the rules I remember breaking um, that I was given when I was young was not to cross the street without an adult. Well, we hit a ball across the street. There was nobody coming. We're in a neighborhood. It's not a lot of traffic, so I just walked across the street and got the ball. And then I lied about it, and I got in trouble. And from the time I could write my name, one of the rules my mom had was that if you receive a gift, you will write a thank you card for that gift. My children know that I have carried on that rule. (laughs) If you get a gift, you write a thank you card. But it's not just mother figures who make rules and set boundaries and make commands for us, especially since men have historically been the ones who've been in charge of creating laws and running governments. And society as a whole sets formal and informal rules um, and laws for us to follow. And the passage today both breaks some of the rules of its time and serves as the foundation of an expectation that has been placed on us within the church community and to some extent to the, by the larger culture, and that is to be a good Samaritan. This is the next in our series of parables in the Gospels. And this idea, this, uh, this command to be a good Samaritan that we hear people share with us It's meant to tell us that we ought to do nice things for other people, and we should care for folks. But that's not exactly how it works in the context of this parable. And so, this morning we're going to read from Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37, and we'll revisit what it is the Samaritan did and what it is Jesus had to say about it. Just then a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. "'Teacher,' he said, "'what must I do to inherit eternal life?' And Jesus said to him, "'What is written in the law? What do you read there?' He answered, "'You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself.' And he said to him, "'You have given the right answer. Do this and you will live.'" But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied with this parable. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, Take care of him, and when I come back, I will repay you whatever more you spend. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? He, the lawyer, said, the one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. This is God's word for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. So we have a lawyer who was an expert in the Scripture. The law law and Scripture were basically the same. So this man was an expert in the Scripture. He knew the answer to the question that he asked. Um, But he asked this question to Jesus because he thought maybe Jesus would answer it in an unexpected way. It was a standard question that had a standard answer. It was sort of a process of teaching. The the rabbi would ask this question, and the students or disciples would reply with a standard answer. But um, Jesus answered this question, as the Gospels tell us Jesus had the tendency to do, with another question may make us think of our counselors and our therapists today. (laughs) We go to them, we want all these answers about what we need to do, and they just sit there and ask us questions. Like, what? No, I want you to tell me what to do. But that response, that question that Jesus responded with, seemed to bring the lawyer and Jesus to a place of agreement and consensus because the lawyer answered with an expansion of the scripture from Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 5 which talks about loving God with your whole self, and Leviticus chapter 19 verse 18 which talks about loving your neighbor as yourself. And so they were in a good place. It was all good. They could have just left it right there and been pals and gone on with their lives. But The lawyer persisted. And who, exactly, counts as my neighbor? He asked. Well, and we know the response that Jesus gave. We know the story that He tells. If we've grown up in the church at all, we've heard this story of the Good Samaritan in Sunday school or children's church or in worship or certainly in vacation Bible school somewhere along the way. We know that a man was going down from the city of Jerusalem toward Jericho along a road that is full of twists and turns. You should look it up. Google the road from uh, from Jerusalem to Jericho um, and look at the images that you find. There's big hills on one side and a deep valley on the other, and it's just twists and turns. It's very easy for someone to hide around one of the turns behind the hill and ambush you. And if they did, there was nowhere to go. What are you going to do? Scramble up the hill or jump? I mean, there was nowhere to go. And so, it was a dangerous route, and it was a fearful situation for most people um, who traveled that way. But Jesus, in retelling this parable that we or in telling this parable said, by chance, after He talked about—told um, how the man who was traveling was attacked and robbed and left, for ha- left half dead, He used the phrase, by chance. By chance, a priest was walking down the same road. And so, this phrase, by chance, signals hope. You think the next part of the story is going to be by chance there was a priest, and he's saved. But the priest continues on and doesn't help the man, and a Levite does the same thing. And then here comes the Samaritan. Well, if the priest and the Levite, who you would expect to receive mercy and grace from, did not help this man, then the Jewish listeners to this parable would not have been thinking at all that there was any hope in the appearance of a Samaritan man. The hatred between Jews and Samaritans had been there for hundreds of years. Samaritans were considered unclean people. They were descendants of mixed marriages that followed from Assyrian settlements of people from all around the region um, and after the fall of the northern kingdom. And that meant that the Samaritans, these people had married people who worshipped other gods, and they had mixed in those religious practices and beliefs with their own, and making them, in the eyes of the Jewish community, unfaithful and unclean. And the feeling of um, hatred was mutual. It wasn't just that the Jewish people looked at Samaritans with distaste and, and disgust, but they looked at the Jewish people with the, same, um, with the same feelings. In Luke chapter 9, it records an occasion where Jesus himself experienced this. Um, a Samaritan town refused to receive him um, on his way to Jerusalem. James and John, the disciples, wanted Jesus to call down fire from heaven on these folks because they would not receive Jesus. And Jesus just rebuked his disciples, told them to hush up. So Samaritans were enemy number one. So, this social directive that we have to be a good Samaritan, because the idea is that a a Samaritan is someone who is good, who is caring, who is kind and merciful. That really doesn't make sense given this context at all, because no one at the time would have encouraged folks to be a Samaritan of any sort, a good or bad or anything, because Samaritan in general was a negative thing. So that's why this parable was seen as radical. Jesus used a Samaritan man as an example of someone from whom we should learn, from whom the Jewish scholars, the scriptural experts should learn. When Jesus asked the lawyer after telling the parable about this person um, who was a neighbor, and and said, "Who, who was the person that was the neighbor for this man? And the lawyer wouldn't even say the name Samaritan. He just said the one who showed him mercy. The lawyer tried to trick or to test Jesus with his question about neighbors, but Jesus turned it around on him and tricked him instead. One Bible scholar wrote, Jesus turned the issue from the boundaries of required neighborliness to the essential nature of neighborliness. Neighbors are defined actively, not passively. The lawyer wanted to say the neighbors are the people of God, are the Jewish people who are connected with me and who are connected with the kingdom of God. But Jesus says neighbors are those who are active, who demonstrate care and love and mercy for others. And with this parable, Jesus expanded the idea of neighbor and who God's grace is for. He introduced a new vision of what it means to be Israel or to be God's people. The lawyer's initial question, remember, was how do I inherit eternal life? Well, Jesus said, you know, what did you read? And he said, love God and neighbor. He said, yes, do this and you will live. Love God, love neighbor, and you will live. And then we understand that those who live rightly Ordered lives right now, we are already part of God's kingdom. It's an indication that God's kingdom has already begun. It's this It's complicated now and not yet of God's kingdom, that with Jesus coming, God's kingdom is initiated and God's kingdom is here now and present among us already, but it's not yet fully present. God's kingdom isn't wholly fulfilled on this earth and among us. But when we live rightly ordered lives now, living out of our love for God, living out of our love for neighbor and ourselves as well then that shows that we are already connected with the kingdom of God. It is a a peak, a hint of God's kingdom, of eternal life. And so with this teaching, it indicates that the Samaritan who fulfilled these things, this loving God and loving the neighbor, is already included in God's people and tied to God's kingdom. Well, that's crazy talk. That is absolute crazy talk for the Jewish people to hear from Jesus. But it's true, the Samaritan man acted with mercy and without expectation of reward. And that is exactly the kind of life that Jesus was trying to get His disciples to live and understand again and again in the way that He lived His life and in the way that He taught, in the words that He shared. Now, Luke follows this parable. If you'll continue reading in your Bible, you'll see that Luke follows this parable with the story of Mary and Martha. That's usually a good Mother's Day one, right? Women fussing over who's doing the dishes or something. But um, Mary and Martha. So, Jesus had come with some of the male disciples and into Mary and Martha's home, and was teaching over in the living room. And Martha was cleaning up and everything, and Mary, she couldn't find her. And then she sees she's sitting down doing nothing, listening to Jesus. And she gets angry that Mary is breaking her um, rules, their household rules, and the expectations of her as a woman who's there with guests in the home and the social norms, because she's a female sitting there and listening with the other students, with the other disciples to the rabbi, which doesn't seem like a big deal to us now, but it was a big deal then. And so, Mary's breaking all of these rules. Now rules and boundaries are often not always, we know. There's some negative reasons too, Um, but rules and boundaries are often set for the purpose of keeping people safe and caring for us and making life run smoothly day to day. But we also know that rules and restrictions tend to pile up. We have laws on the books in Alabama that make absolutely no sense to us anymore, but they're there. They tend to pile up. And that happens in our households and in our classrooms. You know, well, I don't know why I do this, but this is just the rule. This is just the way we do it. They tend to pile up, and sometimes we can feel confined by them or overwhelmed by all of it. But the rules of the kingdom of God that Jesus and the lawyer agree upon are only two. To love God with everything you are, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Just two. Pretty simple. And between the story, the parable of the Good Samaritan, and the story of Mary, we have two good examples of these rules. The active love of neighbor as we love ourselves, we see in the story of the Good Samaritan, and the love of God that is above all else, even above our kitchen responsibilities when we have guests. That we see in the story of Mary. Another pastor wrote that this passage demands that its hearers embrace opportunities to practice love for others in powerful ways, and perhaps to learn from surprising sources how to do that. We all do carry expectations of the types of people from whom we can learn lessons. It's people who are wealthy, people who seem to have it all together, people who have good experience, people who dress nice. So, I don't know, whatever it is, people that we respect in some way. But by only looking to certain people, we miss opportunities to learn from others. And that is one of the big benefits, our calling as a church— as this particular church and as the church worldwide, is to reach out to people in mercy and love. We don't always know how to do that, and so we need each other so that we can learn from each other and grow together in doing that, that so that we can better fulfill our role in God, continuing God's work on earth, both as individuals and as a community. And that means we need to learn from the children, we need to learn from people who are from unexpected corners of our community. And God has a solid record of using unexpected people for various kingdom purposes. Think about Moses. He was not a public speaker. He wasn't real confident about things. He had run away. The Pharaoh had had wanted to kill him in the first place. It was risky to even send him back to Egypt. And we have Esther. She was a woman. She was an orphan. She had no power, really. And David— He was this small person, remember with a story when David um, David was anointed, God said, no, not the big brothers, not the strong one, not the big handsome one, not the smart one that are all older, but this youngest, smallest one, David. And then later, Paul, in the New Testament, we hear about Paul, and he was persecuting Christians, and yet God turned his heart and made him a faithful apostle. And here Jesus uses a Samaritan man— and a woman in the role of a student or disciple. These teachings were meant to shake people up a bit and to make them think about their assumptions and their habits and regular practices. In a church I served in the past, I had a couple come to me and they were furious. Their hearts were broken because no one had been speaking to them. Um, When they got to church, you know, I spoke to them, of course, when they came in But as their pastor. But people in the congregation had not been coming up to them and speaking to them. No one had invited them over to do things outside of church activities. And they had been gone for a couple weeks, and no one called them to see where they had been. I mean, they were just on vacation, so I don't know. And they were just furious that this congregation was not doing more for them. And I listened, and I understood, and they had valid complaints about that. And I, had, I wished that their experience had not been that way, that they had felt more received and welcomed and missed um, when they were gone. But I also asked them a question at the end of our conversation, and I said, have you ever tried speaking to people when you get to the church on Sunday mornings? Have you ever invited someone from the church over to dinner or something? And their answer was no. We are all called to reach out to each other and to be good neighbors. The responsibility doesn't just fall on one person. It's not just the pastor's job. It's not just the lay leader's job or whatever. It's, it's for all of us. We are all called to reach out to one another. So, a good personal reflection question, as you're considering how am I living my life of discipleship, is to ask yourself, am I being a good neighbor? Am I paying attention to the people along my journey, whether they're harmed or seem to be doing okay, and asking them how they are, checking in, seeing if there's some way that I can extend them mercy and grace? In the reading today, the lawyer's focus was on the question, who deserves love? Jesus instead taught with this parable that love seeks out people, all kinds of people. There's this sort of flow of love that is intended in our relationship with God. God loves us, and in response, we love God and we love each other. And our neighbor, the other people around us, are connected with our love of God, because they are part of God's loved creation. And they, like us, are made in the image of God. That's why the love, where the love of self comes in as well, because we are loved, we are valued as creatures of God. We are creations of God, and so are our neighbors. And some people have put it like this, to love God is to love neighbor is to love God. Do you see that flow? To love God is to love neighbor is to love God. It's all connected. And Jesus said to the lawyer and everyone else who hears this teaching, go and do likewise. Well, thank you for joining us. And I hope that you found this message to be meaningful and life-giving. I look forward to you joining us next time, either on our live stream on Sunday mornings here at Bluff Park United Methodist Church. It's at 10 o'clock a.m., Or if you want to join us in person, you're welcome to do so. Also here at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings, you can find out more about our church family, who we are, what we do, and how to get involved, as well as more information about our worship services at www.bluffparkumc.org. Hope you have a great week, and we look forward to seeing you next time.